tick tack it's my clock telling me i should get up yeah, i should get up hi and welcome to the conscious loop where woo woo and the real world collide i'm your host katrina DeAngelis. join me as we explore what it looks like to live consciously almost always each episode we dive into transforming mindsets and shifting paradigms through topics such as developing self-awareness, living authentically, communication, strengthening relationships, and leading from the inside out. If you're ready to break out of your unconscious loops and discover what else is possible, you came to the right place. You ready? Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to The Conscious Loop. I'm so excited to have here on the show today Kat Kova, who is a registered psychotherapist. She also has her own practice that is based in Toronto where she provides therapy and coaching for clients. She is a PhD student of the Social and Personality Psychology Program at York University and holds a Master's of Science degree in Couples and Family Therapy. Kat is just such a great human and trained in so many areas, EFT, solution-focused therapy, narrative training, mindfulness approaches, even dream training and practices. And so I'm just so excited to have her here today on the show to talk about some of the themes that have really been coming up in therapy recently over the past couple of years and both in our own lives and how we can really work to transition from mistrust, from self-deception to empowerment, trust, and embodiment. So let's dive in. Hi, Kat. It's so good to have you here on the show. I'm so excited to dive in. And, you know, there's so many topics that we could we could chat about. Today, specifically, I wanted to pick your brain on a theme that I've both been seeing and feeling. And I know we've been chatting around, around mistrust. But first, let's dive in and say hello, share a little bit about yourself, and then we can dive into the topic. Thanks so much for having me, Kat. Yeah, so I'm also cat and I call you cat <laughs> and I think I'm the only person that does that and together we are two cats and so yeah I'm a, a registered psychotherapist I'm also doing my PhD at York University in Toronto in social and personality psychology and I am just a, a nerd for anything psychology related wellness related and this is why I love talking to you, my beautiful friend. And yeah, excited to dive into some things that we've been chatting about offline recently and hopefully expanding the conversation further to others. Amazing. Yeah, I'm so excited. For for those of you who don't know, Kat and I, so between between two cats for the podcast we were once talking about starting that was based on, you know, what happens when you get your best friend, your life coach and your therapist in a room to have conversations. <laughs> So hopefully we'll be doing more of that in the future and and really bringing that energy into this conversation um, yeah. to discuss yeah. the specific topic of, of mistrust because that is something I think that just is so real in the in the world right now. And so how are you seeing, Kat? How does that show up for both for you and your clients? Like what are some ways that you're seeing people experiencing mistrust currently? Yeah, I love, I I just have to say, I love the concept of two cats still. I think we should definitely still do that one day. And for everyone that doesn't know, it's a spinoff of like between two ferns and the maybe more, yeah, the more wellnessy kind of angled uh, version of that. So yeah, when it comes to mistrust, it's, I would say that it's very similar to 
the feeling of not having safety in your immediate environment when there's some kind of a perceived threat, whether it's an animal, whether it's another human being, whether it's information that is coming at you. It's a feeling of not being able to trust what is in front of you. And when a feeling of like unsafety, not feeling safe sort of shows up in the body, what happens is our stress level rises. And when that happens, there is actually a narrowing in of our attention. So we only see sort of a a fraction. And part of that is this like evolutionary response that helps us to really like focus in on what's happening and then take appropriate action. But what that does too is it actually decreases our ability to think in a more in a wider way, in a in a more balanced way that takes into consideration everything else that is there in the picture that we are not paying attention to. And so while that can be really good when, in fact, the person, thing, information in front of us is actually a threat to our well-being and our safety because it it forces us to take action. It makes us a little bit more quick to take an appropriate action and keep ourselves safe if needed. Problem is when it isn't actually something that's threatening and that stress response still arises and narrows our ability to take in this information in a different way. So makes us act maybe defensively. And of course, you can see how that can become a problem, especially when it happens on a wider scale like we're seeing in the world now. But it does happen for very good reason, probably past experiences, past trauma, and it almost makes us more sensitive to and susceptible to seeing things in one sort of narrow way. But it, it can it can be really it can be really harmful for relationships, right, and for empathy and for building a greater mm-hmm. sense of, mm-hmm. of of trust and harmony. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said there. And I think that's a really important part where it's not that it is a bad thing, like it is a survival instinct that we all have. And one thing that I've been noticing in myself and I've been and I've worked on in therapy before is dissociating. So that's one of my protection mechanisms is to dissociate. And that feels like a separation from my body because I don't want to feel something or something feels difficult you know, even if I get in a fight with somebody or like an argument or anything, uh, tension comes up, like I don't feel in my body anymore. And that's a a form of dissociation, which probably in the past and for good reason has served me. And now it's like tipping over to the point of, well, it doesn't serve in these scenarios because it's not actually required and it's not actually necessary. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what is a way that we can recognize maybe when that protection mechanism, whether maybe, and if you can share a few examples, because I know dissociating is one that I'm more familiar with, but if there's some examples of what happens when we are in a state of like fight or flight or mistrust, or we don't feel safe, what are some cues or indicators that we can look for and notice? And how can we decipher whether or not it is necessary in that moment to be able to determine, you know, is this protecting me and necessary or 
isn't just a habitual response and I actually am safe and it's okay to be safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing up dissociation because it is something that people don't often know that they're doing or doing habitually. And it may have, again, started as a very appropriate response to an extremely threatening situation, usually the most kind of, of physically, emotionally, spiritually threatening kinds of situations is when we tend to kind of like leave our body, dissociate, and it is part of the freeze response, right? Where it's like, all you can do is kind of like pretend to be dead, essentially. So not fight, not fly away, run away, but freeze and just kind of separate yourself from the situation psychically. And while that's good for surviving in a very helpless situation where you may feel trapped and like you don't have a whole lot of power to change something, it can become a habitual response. And the, the, the problem with that and the problem really with a tendency towards any of these one, any one type of, of strategy, whether it's to run, to fight, to freeze, is that life will throw us a variety of different kinds of situations that require different kinds of responses. And if we are doing something unconsciously when it's not appropriate to anymore, and in fact, maybe harmful, right? Like when we're tuning out when our partner is needing our attention or trying to connect with us, for example, is one that a lot of people experience, we actually put ourselves in much less uh, a good spot to get the things that we want and that will be protective for us ultimately. So let's say if you are dissociating, one thing that you can do is to notice what your triggers are, write them down. So journaling, like so effective with this, write down like, okay, what did I experience, think, do who is around when I dissociated and then just kind of like keep a journal keep a diary of that and then you can actually train yourself to stay engaged like it, it is a choice in those really in those really bad situations that we talked about earlier like life or death situations often whether that's like spiritual death emotional death physical right in those situations it's automatic it happens and it's protective adaptive but then we also become unconscious of when we're doing it later on, even though later on it is actually a choice when the threat is not life or death. It, it actually is a choice. And so we can become aware of what's happening unconsciously and then make conscious decisions not to do that and to stick with it a little bit longer because it's actually safer too. And I think that's what the main message is for people that might be listening is it is safer too, because what if you're dissociating and something really dangerous is actually happening? You want to be there, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I so appreciate you sharing that because I feel like thinking about unconscious loops, right? When we dissociate, when I dissociate, that was an unconscious loop until I realized I was doing it. I could pinpoint it. I understood what it was and I, it, it became conscious. And then I have the choice to do something different. But previous to that, I was making unconscious, I had an unconscious loop. And even though unconsciously I was still making the choice, it was very reactionary. It was very habitual and I didn't understand it. I had no idea 
what it even was. And so what's another example of that? So when you think about like unconscious loops that we, you know, might experience, one that we were talking about was self-deception. So what does that look like as another example for people to maybe identify with in themselves if they are falling into that unconscious loop as well? Oh, yeah. Okay. I can talk about this for a very long time, lots of different ways, but maybe I'll try to speak succinctly about like one specific part and maybe add in what people can do if they find themselves doing this. But yeah, I guess like in some ways, self-deception is a way of denying what you instinctively feel know to be true. And our instincts are often like if you have like a gut feeling, if you just know something without like you just know it intuitively without having to sort of like reason or think about things like it's often the right thing for you to be listening to I think of course you want to balance it with some reflection and some thought but the thing is sometimes people can go all the way to the other end where all they're doing is rationalizing using quote-unquote logic and reason and all of those things that's great but it there has to be a balance between those two things if you find yourself being completely reactive which is different from instinctive but has some similar quality to it or you find yourself completely kind of in your head and not connected to your heart or your gut you're gonna be imbalanced when it comes to decision making and I think when you much in your head and overthinking things or maybe making certain things okay and right when you know that they're not like you just know in your gut that they're not you're kind of creating a feedback loop where you don't trust your yourself and you may be doing this completely unconsciously because let's say in your past you may have been completely invalidated by other people when you spoke your heart, you know, when you spoke your instincts and some people doubted you. For example, I have a really cute story about this. When I was very young, grade one, I saw a mouse in my like in my classroom and I jumped up onto my desk, like just instinctively and screamed. And the teacher was like, what are you doing? Like, stop making a scene. And I'm like, but there's a mouse. I saw a mouse. I was scared. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't want the mouse to like bite me or something. And the teacher was so dismissive. She's like, there is no way that a mouse is here. But the funniest thing was there was proof after this happened on a Friday and then Monday rolled around. We had a science project in the room with some like nuts or seeds or something like that. And they were all gone on Monday. And the teacher actually gave me a shout out in the class, which I was really like, I was like, okay, I 
respect that. <laughs> I respect that, homie. Um, yeah, good for good for that teacher because yeah. I think that's so important, right? <laughs> if we're gonna say something so absolute, it's like there's no way. You better be willing to admit if there actually was a way for there to right. be. Exactly. Yeah. And and she was good about that. But like, you don't always get that, right? You sometimes get people just doubting you or saying, you know, stop being so emotional or that could never be true. Or, you know, and then you start kind of like talking to yourself in that way, too. And so that sort of mistrust of what you know to be true and and what you feel, you get further and further and further away from. And that's just and yeah. that's just like a recipe for, yeah, deferring to other people or deferring to logic or deferring to or or just being unbalanced when it comes to that in terms of like how you just kind of navigate through life and the decisions that you make. Yeah. Wow. I love that story. I'm going to think of that now when when somebody because, you know, it's it, that happens really often when you you say something and somebody says, oh, that's that's impossible or that, that couldn't be true or and, and that's all their own stories and that's all their own, you know, experience. But why is it that we so often take somebody else's word for it? Right. Or, you know, it's it takes practice to be discerning enough, I think, to hear somebody else's words and really check in with yourself and say, is that my truth? Is that what I actually experienced? Mm -hmm. Like, what do what do mm -hmm. I know to be true? Because we're all human at the end of the day. So, you know, why do we trust somebody else's word over our, our own, right? We can be open, I think, like yeah. to all of it, but it's all information to leverage both I love what you said about the instinct and also the rational and leveraging both of those things right yeah. and so yeah. I like that word yeah. discerning I like that word that you used because that's sort of what we're talking about here right is is having some nuance to this finding some middle ground where you're taking a lot of information in. And the only way that you can do that is by actually, again, like we talked about, finding ways to feel safe in your body. Because it, when you feel unsafe, mm -hmm. you're only going to get like a small piece of the picture that you can't really make a, re a good, sorry, not a reasoned decision, but a good balanced decision from. So a, another thing that I think people should do is not just think about and journal about when am I mistrusting? And so what are my sort of uh, coping strategies or what are my react reactivity sort of behaviors here? But also, when do I feel safe? With whom? Um, you know, and, and kind of engaging in some or adding some practices where you can learn to trust feeling relaxed and calm too. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. that's also a habit. Right. And the more that you can enter into that safely, like safely sort of let go of some tension as safe as as you can, as safely as you can and start being slow and then building over time the sense of like, yeah, I can trust that I don't have to be reactive, that I can take a beat, that I can, you know, sit, sit a little bit closer to uh, a dog. For example, I have a girlfriend who has like a fear of dogs and we just kind of like practiced inching closer and closer mm -hmm. and realizing mm -hmm. that things are okay they're not what you inst instinctively instantly see if you've been through mm -hmm. trauma before and that you can become more discerning 
over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a good example with the dog because what I'm hearing as well is, is the openness and the curiosity to seeing that another story might be true. Because if we have a fear of something, right, like mm-hmm. all dogs are scary, they're going to hurt me, unsafe, or, you know, men are bad or, mm-hmm. you know, social media mm-hmm. is toxic, like whatever it is, like these are all like absolute statements and they can be true. Like social media can be bad. Dogs can bite. Man or a woman could have hurt you in the past. You know, mm-hmm. like those things are all true. Mm-hmm. But or and like how do we open up to the possibility that that's not always going to be the case and that it is okay to be safe and it is okay to listen to your body and not have to go into that unconscious loop and response of fear and survival every single time. And I think it starts with just the openness of of saying that story might not be true. And am I willing to see it differently and have a different experience mm-hmm. with it and put myself in those situations, like with the dog, for example. And so I love this conversation because I feel like it's bringing a few things together, right? Like we started off start talking about mistrust and and that that's there's an increase of that in the world right now for various reasons. And on the flip side of that is a lot of mistrust comes from not trusting externally. So how do we actually leverage inner trust and self-trust, which is that instinct, so that we don't go into that loop of self-deception as well? And so mm-hmm. when we think about self-trust and instinct and building that relationship and safety within your body what are some takeaways for the audience of ways that they can maybe um, test that out try it like what is on and what's on the other side of that because I think a lot of the time you know the unknown can be scary right so sometimes it might feel more difficult to rip a band-aid off or like open up an old wound because you don't want to go there not realizing what's actually available on the other side of that. So I guess the question is, what's available on the other side? And what are some, for people who are curious, what's a starting place? I love all of these questions so much. And like, I think there's so much to this, but I think my one piece of advice would be to find like just one trusted person or person that you can begin to sort of see that you can build some trust with to have these kinds of conversations with because when we're not talking things through we're so much more at risk for staying stuck and staying in these unconscious loops there's something about talking to other people in an environment that feels safe, that allows that whatever is below, beneath the surface that you don't really know, or you know, but like you haven't verbalized yet and so can't think yourself in complete sentences and in a comprehensive way about what's going on, that just kind of, that just comes to the surface and there it is. And then you can deal with it and you can take some kind of action or create some kind of plan for change. And I think more and more these days, like we just need to be having conversations with others 
in, a, again, a safe environment, which are harder to come by, I think, these days, and be able to test how we think about things against how somebody else might think about something. So seeing where there's disagreement can often help us to become more clear, especially if we honor and value that person's opinion or just value differences in general and how differences can help actually bridge some gaps in our, again, narrow no sense of, of knowledge and in the way that things are and how things are. And then work together towards creating some kind of generative better truth or solution. But it's so hard. It's so hard. So I think that it just starts with one trusted person that can help calm your nervous system down and regulate you enough to be open to thinking about things in ways that you are not currently thinking about them that are keeping you stuck, just like you are for me. Oh, I was just thinking that too. I was like, wow. I'm like, yeah, we've had so many conversations like that, you know, you go in thinking one thing and you just start talking and all of a sudden you end up somewhere else and you're like, I didn't even realize that was what was going on. And and it just happens when you're in that space and when, when you're in the presence of somebody that you trust. And, and sometimes it's just hearing somebody say, you know, oh, tell me more about that. Or, you know, what is it about that? like that brings up that feeling or that's interesting. Like here's how I see it. Mm -hmm. Like providing another perspective to something mm -hmm. is so enlightening because so often I've had this experience in conversations with you, with coaches, therapists, with partners. And so actually a lot it's coming up, you know, recently with Sam where it's like, I'll say something and I think it's completely valid. I'm like, so in that experience, you know, I'm like, this is exactly how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And he'll be like, okay, well, here's how I see it and actually perceive what I perceive when you say that. Mm -hmm. And even just that reflection back to me is like, oh, okay, that's actually not even what I thought I was saying. But it's, but mm -hmm. it's because we're so in our own experience sometimes that we, we need that other person to just hear and bounce something off of. And I think the important key is not feeling like everything somebody says has to be your truth, but it's, but mm -hmm. it gets to, but it gets to exist at the same time. And so being able to mm -hmm. have that person that you can have those conversations with and who, you know, aren't going to tell you to do something. And you can say that, be like, listen, I, I, I just want to share where I'm at. And I just want to, you know, talk through something with you or hear your perspective on something and have a dialogue rather than going for advice, right? I think, and I'm mm. curious, and maybe we can end on, on this question, but, you know, we, we spoke about this earlier too. Therapy is more um, accepted now. And I think a lot more people are going to therapy, which I think is amazing. Mm. And I'm curious if you find that people come to therapy sometimes looking for advice or or guidance, not realizing that it's actually really about getting clear on that self-trust aspect and really, you know, mm. supporting someone and really coming into themselves a little bit more and have those breakthroughs. Because I think that's important in all relationships. Like not, you can go to somebody for advice, like that's totally fine, but not necessarily leaning on every relationship to give you advice and tell you what you should do because that's something that you get the opportunity to work on 
yourselves. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what is your experience with that? And and for, you know, especially when we think about self-trust, how can people use these conversations as an opportunity to build self-trust rather than to get the answers or get the advice that they might be looking for? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because it's, a, I mean, it kind of, it it goes with your example of, you know, how communication breaks down in relationships too. Like we have patterns that we enter into of communication and dynamics with our, with everyone really in every relationship, but with our romantic partner or partners in particular and how I move influences how you then move and how you move influences how I respond to you. And then we get kind of stuck in this cycle. And what's funny is like, if let's say the cycle is I'm telling you what to do and you're sort of like resisting my suggestions or you're like rebelling against my influence or like not accepting my influence, then if you're not accepting my influence, I might be more likely to like try to maybe control you or or like have more of an influence, right? Whether it's to feel respected, like my I'm heard or like, you know, you care about what I what I have to say. And so it's funny because people are stuck in these like relational, unconscious relational loops. And they think that they're getting closer to what they want to do by doing the same thing over and over again. And it's just like not helping. But like, for example, if you want someone's autonomy to increase, like you want your partner to do more things around the house, I don't know, and your approach has been like telling them that they should, you know, maybe a different approach is just like letting them make their own decisions about how much they should clean, do around the house. And I know that sounds like, okay, things will never get done. But if you stop doing that and the person then all of a sudden begins to trust their own sense of how much and how often things should be done and what's my role in doing the things, then all of a sudden they might take on more responsibility right because with any kind of autonomy which I think a lot of us want but some of us don't want fully because it does come with responsibility is this sense of like okay now I am actually like beholden to this freedom that I have I have to make decisions around it and I have reign over like how things will be So if your partner is sort of like positioning themselves as like the manager of the household and like how things should be done, of course, you're going to be in this kind of rebellious teen, I don't want to do it, mom, kind of, that's a little gendered, not always that way, but often it is, you know, and and you're going to be rebelling against that. So if you sort of just instead try to say, I trust you then that person might take on a little bit more of that responsibility because all of a sudden they feel they have the autonomy. And this can work with yourself too, right? Like if you if you say to yourself, I am, you know, going to trust myself even if I'm wrong. And then you give yourself the opportunity to be wrong and realize that things don't fall apart and that you're okay and you're resilient, you'll be a little bit more likely to take on risk. 
Wow. Yeah, that's so important. And I resonate with that so much because, you know, the more that you're told or get in trouble for not doing something, right? So if your partner's mm-hmm. upset with you because you didn't do the dishes or you didn't do whatever, fill in the blank with whatever it is, then you're going to then be maybe trying to be better or do better from a place of fear and avoidance of the criticism rather than the autonomy and the empowerment. And so I think trust, autonomy, and being able to, on a recent podcast, we talked a lot about needs, just stating, hey, you know, it's important to me to be in a clean house or it's important to me Mm -hmm. to feel like there's not a lot of clutter or whatever it is. And allowing the autonomy to emerge and and notice how it comes up because you're you might not have the same definition of like cleanliness or clutter or whatever it is, but you're not really going to know that until you allow it to emerge and allow somebody to take ownership and responsibility for something. If you're constantly like, you know, why is it cluttered? Why are the dishes here? Why is that? It's going to foster that, like you said, the parent child kind of like dynamic which which doesn't feel good and it's the same in the workplace too right like when there's a manager who is always on somebody about doing something a specific way rather than being like hey this is important Mm -hmm. you know full autonomy on how you do that and kind of learning about that person and like how they do something and how you know how they show up and so I love that if you have an unmet need or something is important to you being able to allow the other person the autonomy to show you rather than constantly telling them to do something yeah yeah you can support someone's sense of autonomy by not telling them what to do because if you're telling them what to do then they're gonna feel like oh I I guess I'm somebody that you know gets gets what told what to do and therefore I'm not a very autonomous person or I'm taking autonomy by just rebelling and completely disregarding your your sort of attempts to influence me yeah 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 absolutely so powerful well thank you so much I'm so excited about this conversation and you know there's so many more to come I think there's so many topics that are just so relevant to the world right now but this has been an amazing one when it comes to mistrust and self-trust and you know instinct self-deception all of these sorts of things for people to just bring awareness to and test out and try something different so I really appreciate everything that you shared and is there anything else that you feel like you didn't get to say that you maybe wanted to share with the audience and then let let everyone know how they can stay in touch with you as well oh I think I think we said a lot here. And so, yeah, if people want to stay in touch with me, they can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Kat Colva Therapy. And I'm on Facebook too. And yeah, my, my website, I, I guess, is the best place. And I, I assume you'll probably link it somewhere. And yeah, this was great. Thank you so much, my my beautiful friend. And hopefully we'll have lots more conversations like this in the future absolutely more to come thank you so much and we'll see you soon like what you heard and want more stay connected with our community on social media using the links below like us on your favorite podcast provider and sign up for the conscious loop newsletter where we only send you goodies with one intent to break your unconscious loops if you have an unconscious loop you want to break free from 
Let us know so we can feature that loop on the show. Info and show notes, and we'll see you next time in the Conscious Loop.